You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. Good morning, church. My name is JD. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're here uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, we will be in the book of John, continuing our series in the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Title for my sermon this morning is for the glory of his name. So last week we uh, began in the early part of chapter 12. And we see a few of Jesus's closest friends gather together for a dinner uh, to celebrate Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And as they gathered around the table, Mary comes over and anoints Jesus with a special perfume, a a nard that was purifying. This was a sign of worship for Mary, but was also a preparing everyone, including Jesus, for the suffering and death that was about to come to him. The day after this, Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to the cheers and the adoration of the crowds who had gathered because they heard what Jesus had done with Lazarus. All of this happened not because they saw Jesus as their salvation for their sins, but because they saw Jesus as their salvation from the tyranny of Rome and the oppression of a foreign government. Hosanna, they cried, which means save us now, was a superficial salvation And their worship was not authentic. But the triumphal entry had its desired effect as far as God's sovereign plan as it it incited Judas and as, as it incited the Pharisees to set their hearts against Christ and to move forward with their plans to put Jesus to death even though it was Passover and that was not the plan. And subsequently to put Lazarus to death as well. So in this continuation of our setting this morning. Where we left off from last week. Jesus is approached by some Greeks. These Greeks had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So they asked to see Jesus. Hey we want to speak to Jesus. We want to know if the, the gospel is enough for us. Is is the good news of your salvation for us as well? We can interpret. And he responds that his hour has now come, which was different from what he had been saying all throughout the rest of the book of John, that his hour had not yet come. But now his hour had come, and through his death, the fruit of the gospel will go to all the world. So let's read together, starting in verse 27. If you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to grab one from underneath the seat in front of you or underneath you. And if that is, if you do not have one of your own as well, just kind of take that with you. Use it, read it, to understand it. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it 
had thundered, and others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. So while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. That he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who hath believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees him who has sent me, I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive it. Lord, I pray that there would be a clarity uh, in my speech this morning, that I would articulate these things in in a helpful way way that by your spirit uh, you would speak through this weekend vessel. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. The tone for our particular passage this morning is a bit heavy. It's a bit heavy. You can feel the weight of what Jesus is saying to give a little bit of context here. This is Jesus' last in the book of John. This is Jesus' last um, uh, time with the public. After this, after this particular chapter in 12, as we go from 13 to 21, is a week of time. It is called the Passion Week. And Jesus is in the midst of this going into his hour has come where he will go to the cross and he will be crucified and he will die a death for us, one that we deserve, and he will die it for us. So for the last nine chapters after this, it will be a very private context. The next five chapters he will spend with the, with the uh, disciples, 
And then the next, the last three will be his trial and his crucifixion. So what he says here has some real weight and merit in it. Because this is his last statements that he will make to the public before he recuses himself from them and just concentrates on building up and preparing the disciples for after he leaves. So understanding this, I want you to understand, I want you to take away at least one thing in this this morning. And that is this, that God is glorified by crucifying Jesus at the hands of sinful men to save you and me from destruction. That God is glorified by crucifying Jesus at the hands of sinful men to save a people like you and me from destruction. Starts off in verse 27. My soul is troubled. I feel the weight of what is coming, Jesus says. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, for this reason, I have come. I have come to die. So there's a purpose in understanding what Jesus is time on the earth accomplished. In glorifying his name, God purposed three things here for us to see. The first thing that he purposed is that Jesus would be crucified. That Jesus would die. In glorifying his name, he purposed that sinful man would accomplish the task. The third thing is good news for us. In glorifying his name, God purposed eternal life to those who would believe. Now it was this purpose that God came, that Jesus would be crucified. For whom? For the glory of his name. That God would draw a people to himself. Jesus cries out, Father, glorify your name through this as I'm about to suffer a death and take on the weight of the sins of all those who would believe. Lord, would you glorify your name? Lord, would you, would you exalt the Son? Would you cause the radiance of his majesty to become publicly displayed so that men and women would honor and worship me as the Redeemer? And then God cries out from heaven. I have glorified it. I've glorified it at the transfiguration. When they heard my voice there. This is, this is my uh, son. Whom I am well pleased. I have glorified it through the many miracles and signs and wonders. That, I, that you have been able to accomplish on this earth. But yet. I will glorify it again. I will glorify it again. We learn in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. That we have seen in Jesus. This is his glory. That, that God would glorify the son. 
you will glorify it again. And much like Paul on the road to Damascus, when he, when he, when he shouts down at Paul, why, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And people are looking around, they're wondering where this voice came from, and it was inaudible, but to Paul it was very much audible. The crowd stood there in verse 29, and it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him, but Jesus said, no, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. That you have heard the voice of the Lord. That it will be glorified in my death. And the punishment and the weight. Of what I'm about to go through will glorify my holy name. And glorify the Father in the process. This is weighty. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. This is the judgment to the Israelites. That's what he means by this world, to Israel. And now will the ruler of this world be cast out, to be cast out. Satan will no longer have dominion over all of the world. Because when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people. That means all nations. We are not universalists. This does not mean that all people will be saved in the last days. There is a specific people that have received a specific revelation of who Christ is. That will live in eternity with him. And that when Jesus is lifted up from the earth, when he is going to the cross... When he is raised up between two thieves. In that moment. Satan. In one way will be defeated. And the gospel will go to the nations. In a whole new way. As we see in the book of Acts. You see when he says I am lifted up from the earth. It was to show what kind of death that he would die. That he would be raised on a cross. Not only would he be raised on that cross. But he would take that cross. And he would carry it with him to, to the place of Golgotha. And that he would be with nail and hammers. Be, be hung and affixed to a piece of wood. And he would suffer and die a death that we so deserve. And in it. God would be glorified. And in it, God would be magnified. And in it, you can receive redemption through it. How is that? We have heard from the law, verse 34, that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is, who is this Son of Man? Who is this Christ? Who is this person that you speak of? Jesus says, the light, I am with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, while Jesus, while I'm with you, while I'm in your presence, believe in me. That's what he's saying. That you may become sons of light. 
To walk in the light means that you must be transformed by the gospel. You must believe in the light before you can walk in the light. Your conduct would be to live in the light and not in the darkness. So through saving faith and, and, and the grace of Jesus as the light. You see, we become sons of light. That the light of Christ is in our hearts and our minds and shines through us by how we live. So we believe in the light, but we become adopted. We are adopted and grafted into the family of God. That we will become, in so doing, when God does that, when he transfers us from darkness to his glorious light, that we are adopted into his family. And by so doing, we become his image bearers. That we would call others into this glorious light. That we would receive and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would believe that God purposed that Jesus would be crucified for our sake. For his glory and our good. Do you see this? That Christ would do this. And that God would be glorified and magnified in it. So Christ, even as he's about to suffer the humiliation of all mankind by going to the cross, it is in his exaltation that we see the glory and the majesty of God and the radiance of the sun. That's the good news for us. That in glorifying his name, God would purpose that Jesus would die, that he would send his one and only son to die a death for all those who would believe, and in so doing would give us hope in the eternal. So the second thing that we see is that God purposed that sinful man would accomplish the task, and God glorifying his name. God purposed that sinful man would accomplish this task. By purposing sinful man would accomplish the task does not mean that God is the author of sin or responsible for evil. What it does mean is that God will use the evil of men, angels, demons, Satan, to accomplish his ultimate will. God will use the moral evil actions of willing creatures to work things out for the good and ultimately for his glory. So we see in verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. I mean, if you get to the end of the book of John, it says that, he, that he, if he were to write all the volumes of what Jesus accomplished while on the earth, it would fill the entire earth. So we only just get a glimpse of the signs of what, what Jesus was able to do and what he accomplished here on earth. And they still did not believe. But there's a reason. The word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Isaiah 53 first. 
Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn to Jesus and I would heal them. This is how God works. He takes the sin of man and he uses it to bring about the salvation of many. Just look to the story of Joseph, who was envied by his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him and sought to destroy him and to kill him. And ultimately, instead of killing him, they sent him off and sold him to Egyptians for slavery. And so when, 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 when Joseph gets to Egypt, God in his sovereignty makes him second highest in command. And God, in his sovereignty, takes Joseph through circumstances not of his own accord and puts him in prison. Where where is God gracious in this? You might ask. You see, Joseph sat in a jail cell, whining and complaining and shaking his fist at God. Is that true? It's not true. not true at all you see Joseph's character was on full display while he sat in prison his character in trusting God even in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances that happened outside of his own control ultimately God would restore Joseph back to second in in command when a new Pharaoh came And Joseph would ultimately give clarity to the dreams of Pharaoh. And in so doing would save many people. And here's what Joseph says. What you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. To bring about that many would be kept alive. So God uses the evil actions of Joseph's brothers, their envy, their sinful desires, jealousy of him, to to sell him off to Egypt, to put him second in command, to ultimately bring about the salvation of many. God would do this, that he would use sinful man in this way. Another example of this is the story of Pharaoh and the Exodus story. Where God hardens the heart of Pharaoh or Pharaoh hardens his heart. Both happening simultaneously. So that Pharaoh would send out the Israelites from amongst the people. So yes, God uses sinful men. Who would not believe in him. To send Jesus to a cross and a death that he didn't deserve. And yet God is glorified. Justice is served. Our true and right justice 
is served by Christ. So Peter reminds the Israelites in Acts chapter 2 that they were responsible for the death of Jesus. He says this in Acts 2.23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But I just said God purposed that Jesus would die. Yes. But I just said that God would use humans to do it. Yes. Both can happen simultaneously without God ever being convicted of evil. That he would use men's own sinful desires, their own hearts to destroy Christ. Destroy each other. William Hendrickson says this, the terrible consequences of hardening ourselves against the solemn admonitions and warnings that come to us is pointed out here in other texts as well. When it comes to evil, the fault lies not in any sense with God, for God is love. He is not a cruel monster who deliberately and will with inward delight prepare people for everlasting damnation. On the contrary, he earnestly warns He proclaims the gospel and states, as as did Jesus repeatedly during his earthly ministry, what will happen if people believe, but also what will happen if they do not. He even urges them to walk in the light, but when people of their own accord and and, and after repeated threats and promises reject him and spurn his messages, he, he hardens them in order that those who are willing to repent may not be able to do so. question for us this morning is what do I what do I do with this what do I do in response of the hardening of hearts what do I do with this if if I don't believe or if I do believe so if you're here this morning and you have not believed in the light who is Jesus we just encourage you encourage you not to harden your heart towards the good news of the gospel Believe in the light. Receive the good news of the gospel. That you may be saved. That this today is the day of salvation. That you would believe the gospel and receive it. That your life will be transformed, changed forever. That you can live in eternity with him. But if you're here this morning, listen to me. Because I know that this room is full of a lot of Christians. If you're here this morning, you've believed in the light. But you are currently ensnared in sin. I want to encourage you to repent. Turn from the gospel. So that your heart will not be hardened. Lest you turn away and go back into the world. That's what will happen. For those who have seen and been enlightened, Hebrews 6 says this, and you probably read it this week if you've been reading our Bible reading plan. Hebrews 6 says this, for those who have been enlightened, that means those who have seen the good news of the gospel, those who have tasted the good news of the gospel, those who have received the good news of the gospel, and yet don't revel in it and don't 
truly trust in it, don't have a saving faith in it, it is impossible. That is the words that the author of Hebrews uses for you to come to the light. The more you harden your heart towards the gospel, the more that you allow sin to continue to enter in and enter in and enter in, the more hardened you are towards the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. Do you see this? Don't walk in darkness. You have no idea where you're going. You're going towards destruction. You're going towards judgment. So believe in the good news of the gospel. See, Isaiah said these things. He saw because he saw his glory. Isaiah 6, when he sees the glory of God, he says what? When he sees the eternal Son in his presence, he says, Woe to me! Woe to me, for I am a man. This is, he's, he's bringing destruction on himself. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips when he sees the glory and the radiance of salvation. I'm a man of unclean lips. I have seen the glory the glory of the only Son. And in so doing, as John writes this, he says, Nevertheless, in spite of hardened hearts, there are some who are believing in Him, yet they're not walking in the light. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're just kind of here, and, and I believed in this. I, I trusted in this. I, I said a prayer at some point in time, and I, I believe in it, but you're not walking in the light because you love the glory of man more than you love the glory of God. That's what they're accused of here. Do you confess to believe the good news of the gospel? that's you this morning I would just urge you above everything else to walk in the light to let darkness have no place in you that you would abstain from sin and that not only doing that that you would stand in the light that you would not be ashamed of the gospel for you trust in the power of its salvation You would believe it and you would, you would tell others about it as being sons of light. The third thing that the glory of his name in God purposes eternal life to those who believe in the gospel. This is our hope. This is our hope. Our hope is not in this world. This world is passing away. Hope is in the life that is to come. Despite hardened hearts, there's a sense of urgency from Jesus himself to believe. Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but also in the Holy Trinity. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Just as a summary statement to close out Christ's public ministry. That's what he's doing here. All these things that he's saying here are, are, are re, repetitive from what he has said earlier. 
They're just repeated statements and phrases that he's trying to double down on as if one thing about the book of John. It is wholly repetitive. As I studied this book, as I have driven deeper into this book as one who has preached most of these sermons, the one thing that's evident is that Jesus, that, book, that John wants nothing more than to, for you to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that you may have life. That is so evident. Because over and over again, he aligns himself with the Father, being the Son of God, but he also aligns himself as being the perfect representation of man by being the Son of Man. Over and over again, he draws us into this, that you would believe and receive the gospel, that you would walk into the light and you would walk out of darkness. Over and over and over again. And yet, people don't believe. Even Jesus says, like, believe. I've come into this world as light, verse 46. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Trust in Christ. He came to take away the sins of the world. Do you believe him? I didn't come to judge. I'm not the judge. God the Father is the judge. He says in verse 48, uh, 47. No, I came to save the nations. I came to save the world. That's why I'm here. Do you believe this? believe this that you have life eternal life abundant life here on this earth and i'm not talking about possessions and money i'm talking about trust in the lord and faithfulness to him that kind of abundant life that kind of abundant life that fellowships with one another that loves one another that and out of your love and fellowship with one another is a love for christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection But there is, there is a condemnation that comes to those who don't believe. Because the one who rejects me and does not receive my words. The word that I have spoken with will judge him on the last day. The warning is clear. You are either in Christ or you're not. You are either walking in the light or walking in the darkness. It is as simple as that. Let me tell you where we go wrong. We rest right in the center. Where we keep one foot in the world and one foot with the gospel. And that is not salvation. Salvation is we are fully in this world living this way in life or we are fully out living our own lives for our own selfish desires following our own selfish ambitions I just want to warn you there is condemnation that comes to those who are not in the light for those who have not tasted and seen the goodness of the gospel Since the book of John is repetitive, I want to just be repetitive. If you are here this morning and have not believed in the light who is Jesus, 
me just encourage you not to harden your heart towards the gospel of Jesus this morning. No, I want you to believe in the, in the light while you have the opportunity to believe in the light. Again, my encouragement for you if you're here this morning and have believed in the light, but you are ensnared by sin, let me encourage you to repent, to turn away from your sin, that your heart may not be hard unless you turn away and go back into the world. That's the call for us this morning. For those who are living in unrepentant sin, to turn away from your sin, to repent and believe the gospel. For those who are living for their own selfish ambition and never trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Would you feel the weight of Jesus' words here as he says, The Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. He gave him several, but a commandment. He told me what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment is what? Eternal life. That is the life that Jesus brings. Through the destruction, through the crucifixion that we'll get to see play out over the next several weeks and months. That Jesus lifted up on a cross. Would carry the weight and the burden of our sin. Nailed to the cross with him. As he lived a life we could never live, and he innocently died a death that we so deserved. Taking away our punishment and our affliction for all those who would believe. And that in so doing, for those who believe, would receive eternal life. It's good news. It's good news to a people that are perishing. Like, that's us. It's good news. It's hope for us. It's hope for us. Who is the king of glory, the psalmist asked. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. To the glory of his name. 